You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Jim Wolfrey, and you're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Mark Coles. Mark grew up playing competitive level cricket in New Zealand. He then started coaching both men's and women's teams, progressing to being appointed high-performance manager for the Pacific Island nation of Vanuatu in 2010. He then became head coach for Scarborough Cricket Club in Western Australia before moving back to New Zealand to be the coaching coordinator and specialist coach for the Wellington Blaze in the newly formed National T20 League. It was around this time that Mark's life began to unravel and his use of alcohol to quell his own demons became, in his words, an obsession. In a bid to rebuild himself and find a new purpose in life, he applied for the job as coach of the Pakistan women's cricket team. For the next two years, he helped lift the team to reach number four in the world rankings. He left in 2019 to spend more time with his family and in 2021 was appointed head coach of the Scottish women's cricket team. Mark is a coach with a deep understanding of the doubts and insecurities that affect us all, but also with a similarly deep appreciation that these things can be overcome by remaining focused on the simple task of trying to be 1% better each day 
through experimentation and learning. He has an amazing story to share and is very open about how his personal demons led him to take a risk and go down a path which in his words was outrageous and scary, but which ultimately leads him on a successful and redeeming journey. The other parts of Mark's story that connected the most with me were his view that the role of the coach is to give the player belief that they can perform at an elite level, and they do this by giving them a clear understanding of what their role is in the team. They then work with the player to understand the steps they have to take to play that role, and importantly, they don't tell them, but create the plan together. How winning was just getting his team on the field given the animosity and resistance there was to the idea of a women's national team in Pakistan, and in turn, what he learned about people, pride, and passion from the struggles the team faced, and the story he shares on the motivational nature of ice cream. This was a really wonderful conversation, one of our favorites, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Good afternoon, Mr. Mark Coles, and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. How are you today? Yeah, good, thanks, Paul. How are you? I am very well, thank you, and I'm happy to hear that New Zealand voice because you are the first New Zealand coach that we've interviewed. Well, it's nice to be the first on debut and, and representing the wonderful flag of New Zealand and, and the country that, that I'm born from, but not living there. Well, let's hope it's not the last. I'm going to start with a really simple question, though. Can you tell us where you are in the world and what you've been up to so far today? Well, I'm in Queensland, Australia, in a, in a lovely place called the Sunshine Coast. So I, I've just finished some coaching and very hot temperatures here. We're just going through a heat wave of, I think it was down to 32, but we've been up as high as 35. But pleasing to know that in the weekend, we're dipping back down to 28 degrees. I'm sure there's a lot of people around the world listening who are very envious of your weather situation right now. <laughs> Mark, if I could yeah. start this conversation with a little bit of a winding the clock back, because you've coached first-class cricket in Australia and New Zealand, and you've had some pretty good exposure, or some great exposure to some wonderful coaches. The two that really stand out are Mickey Arthur and, of course, the great Wayne Bennett, the rugby league coach. And so I wanted to ask, from this perspective, what is it you think the great coaches do differently? Well, look, I learned a lot from, from Wayne Bennett and Mickey and Wayne are very good at one thing. They understand their players and I think that's really important. And particularly where I came from in Pakistan, it was great to be able to spend time with Mickey and really understand religion, what it meant to the players, both men and, and the women and the important part it played in their life, but also to understand that the backgrounds that they came from and some came from very, very modest backgrounds and some came from backgrounds that for a, a Western world were okay. They were reasonable backgrounds, but every player sort of was a very much an individual and had a, a real story to tell. And some of those stories were quite staggering and quite frightening to be fair. We're going to get on to your experience coaching Pakistan a little later, but I wanted to just ask a few lead-up questions if I could first, because I was listening recently to an interview that you gave and someone asked you, what advice would you give to a young cricketer who's thinking of becoming professional? And you said, understand your role. And I thought that was probably a good place to start. So what's the role of a coach, when they, a cricket coach, when they get to the elite level? I always believe that you're just there to guide and support. I mean, if they've got to the top of their game, 
they're talented. They've got all the they've got all the skills. They've got the technical skills. They've got there because they're good enough to get there. I think a lot of what a coach does is give them that belief that they can play at that level, and give them a very clear understanding of the role that they're going to play in the team. And I think once players understand the role that they play in the team, that will then give them that confidence to be able to execute that role. So part of what what I've learned in my role is to really give that player a real clear understanding and clarity around what their role is. And I always found that when we were on tour, that breakfast was the best time to do it. A, because I really enjoyed breakfast, but B, you caught them before a practice session or before the game started. And it's a very simple question. Do you have any questions about your role today? And most of the time, if they look at you and say yes, or they shake their head, then you need to know that they don't quite understand their role. It's a pretty easy question. It's a yes, no answer. So I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed sitting down with them at breakfast and spending time with them before we went to a practice or before we went to the game. Mark, have you got an example of a player who, through explaining their role to them, you were able to encourage and improve their performance? Yeah, look, I, I think probably Sun Amir, who ended up being the number one bowler in the world, and she was ready to retire when, when I came in. She'd gone through a lot of issues with media and through coaches, and she wasn't in a great space. And I said to her, look, I'm new to this, but where I want this team to be is to is just to try and improve a little bit and, and enjoy their cricket more. They weren't enjoying their cricket. And I said, you're a big part of that as, as a leader in this team. Not that she wasn't the captain anymore, but she was going to be a leader. But I said, I think there needs to be something for you to strive for. So I said, what is that going to be? And she said, well, I, I want to be the number one bowler in the world. And I feel that if I can do that, then the team's performance will improve. Well, that was pretty obvious. So I said, well, how are we going to do that? And she came up with some ideas and together we made her role very clear about where she was going to bowl, what the plan was, where she was batting, what her plan was, where she was going to feel because she was getting an old lioness that she wasn't moving as quick. So we needed to make sure that she knew where she was going to field and where she was going to bat and the role that she was playing. And no surprise, she was very, very clear every international game she played, what role she would play in that game. And we also had a backup plan in case she got hit early on with the ball. And so we, we understood that, okay, if she got hit, that didn't really matter. The outcome was over here. So that's one player. It worked really well for her, but I think it worked really well for all the players that they really understood their roles and the team improved. Well, we did, we did all right near the end. We were winning some games. You did better than all right. You took them up to being ranked fourth in the world. But again, I want to hold that back a little bit because I still want to paint a little bit of the backstory. And in reading about your story and learning a little bit about you and growing up in New Zealand, I can see that your father was very influential on your own love of cricket. And I think your development as a cricketer as well. He was a good cricketer himself. And I wanted to ask, if you evaluate your own coaching style and philosophy today, what elements of your father, Michael, do you see reflected in the way you go about the craft of coaching? Oh, well, he, he, yeah, he was very determined. He was a determined man. He still is. He's, he always wanted to win, and, and that probably isn't a good trait to have. I, I think that's one of the traits that I don't like. 
everybody wants to win, but there's a process that you have to go through to win games of cricket or any sport. That's probably not a great trait that I have, but just as determination and as passion for cricket, that shone through for me. And as his just relentless way of wanting to be better every day and train hard and those are the things that he sort of gave me as an up-and-coming cricketer, but also to carry on in the coaching area. There's no excuse that there's only one way you're going to get better, and that's hard work. And you have a look at all the great sportsmen across the planet and every sport, two words, they work hard. And they probably work harder than the average athlete. And, that, and that's just the way that it is. Whether it's Michael Jordan, Usain Bolt or Tiger Woods or Steve Smith, they all work hard. You said something interesting then, Mark. You said wanting to be better. Your father always wanted to be better. And I want to talk now about this journey to Pakistan. You're lying on the couch in New Zealand and you come up with an idea to go and coach Pakistan. But, and the job initially paid nothing. But you did it because mm. you wanted to be better mm. as a human being. You were at a level where your confidence was low and, and you've talked about the, the challenges, personal and mental health challenges you were having at the time. And it must have taken pretty deep self-awareness to know that you needed something so drastic to move your life forward. Well, I think this is probably a really important story for all coaches out there because I think all coaches suffer from those desperate and sometimes difficult times as a coach. It's very lonely as a coach. And I, I certainly went through my fair share of personal battles. And I guess that's where I got to on the couch, where I was in a position where I, I could either go one way, which wasn't a great path, or try and do something that was completely outrageous and scary. But quite possibly, and I didn't know at the time when I sat on the couch in a cold winter's night in July in New Zealand, whether it was going to be productive or lead me down a path further of destruction. So it was a gamble and I ended up, thankfully, it's been the best thing that I've ever done. Tell us a little bit about that gamble. If you could take us from the journey from that couch onto seat 54F <laughs> to landing in Pakistan. Yeah, look, uh, as I said, you know, there, there was some real battles that I was going on internally in my own life but I knew I needed to do something. And I got hold of Mickey Arthur, who I knew from Western Australia. And I said, look, I've just seen these girls play. They're not very good. But I said, I reckon I could turn things around. So do you want to, if you can, and if they're interested. So the short story is they were, and a man sort of rang and I thought he was just having me on. It was someone, one of my mates having me on. And it ended up being this guy from Pakistan. And before I knew it, I was my wife, Mel, was talking to the lady at the Emirates counter and uh, because I couldn't, because I was so nervous. I got given a ticket and I was sitting there on my way to Dubai and then landed in Dubai. And before I knew it, I had 12 hours there and then uh, blow me down. I was on a plane full of Pakistanis heading for Lahore and landed there at 2.30 in the morning. Uh, the heat was just unbearable. And a man yelled out to me, I remember this. Mr. Collis, Mr. Collis. And I thought, I looked around me and I thought, I don't think there's too many Mr. Coleses, which I think he's trying to say, in this plane. So I'll take a gamble again, because this is the only one I've got left. Because if this guy doesn't come through, I'm not sure where I'm going or what I'm doing. But I know that I'm in Lahore. And I said, put up my hand and said, Coles? He said, yes, Coles, Mr. Coles, Mr. Coles, come, come, come. And then I was surrounded by police, armed police. 
and then frog march out of Lahore Airport into a white Toyota high-ace van with police behind us and cars and police in front with sirens going motoring through the towns of Lahore at 2.30 in the morning. And I kind of thought then that I might be quite important. However, it dawned on me when I was in my bed still at 3.30 in the morning wide awake that, wait on a sec, all those police around me and then the 10-foot-high fences that I'm now in this compound, I think that means that I might be a target here. (laughs) So things got a bit scary. (laughs) And then when waking up in the morning and seeing the two snipers on each side of the building made me think, yeah, this is quite high-powered. And then, of course, the, the journey began. Everywhere I went, I had an armed guard. And then the most brilliant journey of dealing with these young girls and and understanding the lives that they lead and the families that they come from started. It's an amazing story. We'll be putting a, a link to to the article that goes in depth about what happened in the show notes. And I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy reading about it <laughs> as much as Jim and I did. But it's also a great story of redemption, like you, your own personal redemption, your improvement in, in your health and your outlook on life. And I think ultimately, which we'll get to later on, I guess your improvement as a father and a husband. But Initially, there's a little bit of cricket to talk about because women's cricket, and I found this fascinating to understand, was only introduced into Pakistan in 1998. Until then, you know, women and girls had not been allowed to play in open fields because of the country's conservative Muslim values. So you, you're going on this journey, but you've been watching this team who, who I imagine must be some of the most resilient people you've ever met because they would have had to have fought so hard to get onto that field. So what did you learn about resilience watching those players develop? Oh, there's just some amazing stories there. And I don't think people really understand what these young ladies had to go through to get on the field, as you quite rightly say. I mean, for instance, brothers and fathers beating them because they were going to cricket and not badminton and all these things. And so that just teaches you so much about coaching. Winning doesn't matter. Winning, getting them on the field is winning for them because they were abused in the media. It's a waste of money, women's cricket. They should be in the kitchen and they had to put up with all of this and then not being paid for six months because the PCB at that particular time, that administration thought that it was a really good idea that they don't pay them for three months building up the World Cup because that'll make them hungry to perform at the World Cup. And then when they didn't perform at the World Cup, surprisingly enough, they didn't pay them because they performed so badly. So when I came in, these girls hadn't been paid for six months. And it wasn't until I listened to a few conversations that I understood. So resilience, that for me, is resilience in itself. And the same girl that got beaten up by the brother and father because she was going to cricket had to drink water from behind the building because she couldn't be seen with the boys and got typhoid three times. But not only that, she had to cut all her hair off because they were beating her up on the bus. So being a coach of this cricket team became not so much the technical side of it, which obviously I was responsible for giving them information and ideas, But it also made you understand a whole lot of things about life. That life over on the Sunshine Coast is pretty easy. I mean, first world issues, goodness me, I have to get in a car and drive up the road 5Ks to coach. This girl travelled two and a half hours. And that's just one story. 
So I think it just it taught me so much about people and the pride and the passion that they had to try and play for their country, to make their families proud of them and to feel that they were contributing to the next generation of young ladies that probably feel at the moment or at any time they can't play sport. So they became ambassadors and we talked a lot about just leaving the jersey in a better place. So when when someone comes in and you're, you're an ambassador of, of young ladies in Pakistan, it's, it's a, a long-winded answer to your question. It's not a long-winded answer at all. It's tremendous. <laughs> and I, I wonder, has it changed the way you – it's just going to sound terribly paternalistic, but has it changed the way you've fathered your own children when it comes to teaching them resilience because of this experience you've had? Yeah, it does. Uh, and, what, and it's changed me. As I said, you always sort of think little things get you down. But when, when you think about – you go back and you try and think about all these things that these girls go through. It doesn't seem as bad. Nothing's that bad that you have to go through that. And making another little story is making cricket balls because they, the PCB made them pay for their own cricket balls at one stage. This is the previous administration. It was a personal expense. So these girls said, no, well, well I can't afford that because we're not getting paid. So they'd get supermarket shopping bags together and then put it over a hot frying pan to crystallise it so that plastic crystallises, and then that was their cricket ball. Then they'd chop down trees and put in the stumps. This is a national cricket player, but this is what she had to do to try and get better. So I always teach now the girls, always just try and be your best, but always think of the positive things. Just believe in your own ability, and nothing's too difficult. There's no way that you can't do anything, because these girls could do it, and you can do it. We don't need to make our own cricket balls over here. We're very lucky. But they always found a way. These girls always found a way. Okay, you have to pay for your own cricket ball? Right. What do I have to do? I have to try and think of a way of getting a cricket ball. So they came up with that. And she was a national player. It's unbelievable. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You talking of national players, if we can, I'll, I'll I'll move on actually because we could have a whole episode on resilience. But there's a whole there's a more to your story than there's more to your story that I want to get to because you talked about Sanamir in the opening, and she, I found this great quote actually when she was reflecting on you and your style. She said, "Mark brought neutrality to the team because he had no bias towards any player. That was very refreshing. He was quite sensitive and very respectful of our culture." which made the girls very open to what he was bringing. 
And this theme of sort of sensitivity runs through a little bit of your story, actually, and other elements of your, your, your coaching journey. I wanted to ask, how important is this sensitivity? And maybe you could even define it. How important is it to you and your coaching style? Look, I think there's different teams have different sensitivity. I mean, over here now, I'm dealing with some young men who who have their own issues. So I think over here, it's a little bit more, you have to be understanding of of young men and what they're doing and, and where they're at. But over there, I think it was, I was very aware of the religion and how big a part the religion plays in their lives and that Allah is the most important person in their life, even more so than sometimes their own families. And I needed to understand that prayers and prayer time was very important to them. So I went in there and said, the most important thing that you need to do is make sure that you're praying five times a day. I do not want cricket to be the biggest thing in your lives. The biggest thing in your life is your family and your religion. Cricket's third and sometimes even fourth and fifth and sixth. But we need to make sure that you're keeping up with your prayers, that you're not missing out on them that family is really important. And, and if you have an issue, you can feel safe to come and say, look, Mark, I'm not going to be at practice today because mum's not well or whatever it is. Now, I needed to build that trust up. Just having the name coach doesn't give you an automatic right to be a leader. You've got to earn that respect. So in terms of me, I understood that understanding their religion was really important and that built up that respect, I guess. And the fact too that I went in to fight for them. So I went to the PCB and I said, they're no longer going to pay for cricket balls. It's out. You can't. I can't get this team better if you keep making them pay for cricket balls. I can't get this team better if you're not going to pay for them. So that gave me a little bit of a, some water in the bucket, so to speak, because they thought, hey, here's a man that's going to go in to fight for us. And once the top man knew that they weren't getting paid, he made sure that they did get paid. So due respect to him. So I guess that gave me that real, not power, but it gave me, yeah, I'll use the word respect again. It gave me some trust that they started to trust me that, yes, religion's important. Yes, our family's important. And yes, you do fight for us. And so we're building that trust with you. And it was very difficult being a Western man in a, in a Muslim world. Maybe in some ways, though, it's like Sana Mir said in this quote, you brought neutrality to the team. Maybe that was exactly what they needed. I, I think at the time it was because I think, again, they, they suffer. For, and a lot of coaches out there, oh, I understand that there's Karachi and there's Lahore girls. And there was a real it's sort of like Queensland and, and New South Wales and the state of origin or, or the All Blacks in Australia or England and Scotland. There was that real battle zone between these two cities. I didn't have that. If you were from Karachi, that's great. Oh, it didn't bother me. And if you were from Lahore, that didn't bother me either. I just wanted to get some girls together that would really want to play for Pakistan and be the best that they could be. And we always talked about being 1% better every day. If we could just be 1% better every day at practice, then together as a group, 15, 16, 20, we're 20% better as a team. And they related to that. I can be 1% better. And in the end, they said, Mark, I'm not going to be 1% better. I'm going to be 5% better today. And I said, that's fantastic because together we'll be 30% better. And so I, I, that was a big thing for me. And I, and I also encouraged them to come to practice and be proud to make mistakes. So we had this 
this real pack that we wanted to practice ugly. And, and so we do different things just to, just to give reverse sweeps a go and, and hitting over the top in cricket terms for those people that don't know, you know, it's, it's playing different shots and bowling slower balls, which they started to get used to, but they were happy to make mistakes because then they'd say, hey, I made a mistake, but at least I did it. And so we, we, we just tried to be positive because of what was going on outside of cricket with a lot of them. A lot of the stuff going on outside of cricket was really hard. So cricket should be a place that you come and enjoy and have fun whilst learning a little bit, hopefully from this old bloke from New Zealand. <laughs> so 2016 at the World Cup, they don't win a game. And you, you roll up um, no. with, this, with this new energy, this new focus, wanting to turn your life around and theirs. And then the team starts to improve and – you were the coach when they beat New Zealand for the first time. Now, there was quite an unusual preparation for this New Zealand match, and, I, and it's, it's quite technical. And I think there's a lot of coaches out there that would be really interested in the technical aspects of what you did that day to prepare the team because we all know beating New Zealand in any sport is a very difficult thing to do. They, don't, they never lie down as a nation, and they're a very proud sporting nation. Some would say one of the proudest on earth. But could you share with us this very technical and sophisticated approach you used to preparation that day? <laughs> I think I know which one you're talking about. Well, look, we, we went close in the first ODI and I could feel that that was nine in a row the girls had lost and they were because they'd lost every game at the World Cup and we were so close to beating them. And it was a funny feeling for me. I thought, oh, crikey, I feel like sort of traitor here getting these girls to try and beat New Zealand and really adopted this team but singing the national anthems it was a real pull me push me type situation and then we got beaten the second one pretty badly Divine Sophie Divine and Susie Bates who are, who are great player world players tore us apart and so I was sitting in my hotel room and I thought right we've, we're playing the next day we'd been to this restaurant previously I thought damn it you know, drinking wasn't my thing. I knew that I had to stay away from that. But I, my second love was ice cream. And I thought, you know what? I feel like an ice cream. And so I called a team meeting. And I think the girls thought, oh, dear. I said, And I was quite firm in the message. I said, right, 7.15 in the foyer. We're all meeting, all staff, all players. And I made it pretty clear. I'd already done a deal with the guy down at the restaurant. So they all meet down there and they're all very cautious and where are we going and what are we doing? I said, follow me. So we followed, we went down through and, and it was a five minute walk and they were all following me. And I felt like Farmer Brown because all the little sheep, I shouldn't call them sheep, but it was like all these little sheep were following me and all these people were watching and thinking, what? There's 21 people behind this white bloke in Dubai going through the supermarket. We finally end there and I said, right, line up if you want chocolate ice cream, strawberry ice cream, vanilla. Not too many takers in the vanilla queue. Quite a few in the strawberry and then a lot in the chocolate, about 16 in the chocolate. Yeah. And so I said to the guy, right, off you go. And they looked at me like, oh, well, this has never happened to us before. And a couple of the girls, senior girls came, well, Sana some, some was one of them. She said, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I was feeling really bad about the loss today. And I thought, well, in two days' time, we're playing in New Zealand and I enjoy ice cream, and I noticed that you enjoyed ice cream as well, just quietly. I thought, well, what better way to try and motivate ourselves if we could all have an ice cream? And she said to me, she said, you know, Mark, you're quite faulty. <laughs> I said, you've only just picked that up. <laughs> so we all had ice cream, and then they said, 
are we meeting? And I said, no. And they said, well, what, what should we do now? And I, I said, well, here's a mall. Last count I saw, there were about 200 shops. I said, girls, I, I know ladies pretty well. Across the board, they enjoy shopping. My suggestion, go for your life. I'm going back to the hotel and getting some sleep. So two days later, we come up against New Zealand and the rest is, is history. I did it again when we were down 1-0 against the West Indies, but the, some of the girls that were in Dubai all of a sudden had caught on. <laughs> said, you're taking us for ice cream. And I said, yes, you're right, I am. And strangely enough, we ended up winning that series as well. So some people have called me the ice cream coach, but I'm, which I'm not really sure is a fair reflection of my coaching ability, or perhaps it is. You talked earlier actually about fun and how important it was for the, the team in Pakistan. And it seems to be really central to your coaching values, I guess. What other values are really central to who you are as a coach? Uh, I, I think respect for the game, and particularly cricket. It's such a long history of the game for those that are from different parts of the world. You know, cricket's a gentleman's game that was first played in, in England and so there's a lot of history to the game and respect for the game and, and respect for each other and the opposition as well. I mean everybody wants to win but I, I think there's that fine line where winning becomes just an obsession and, and just having that respect and, and I think that goes for all sports. You need to respect the past and the future and we talked a lot about that but we also talked a lot about how we wanted to be seen as Pakistani representing Pakistan, and we wanted to be seen as great ambassadors for the game and for young ladies back in Pakistan. So if they did hear about a win that we might have, whether at New Zealand or the West Indies or whoever, that they were proud that our women's team is doing us proud on the world stage. So we talked about being proud and having that belief as well. So I hear a lot of things, but I just think that there are three major things. There's respect, there's honesty and I think there's pride that you play for as well but respect covers off a lot of things and then I don't think you really need too many more things I, I, I see a lot of teams have a lot of things and put a lot of things on walls and I sometimes think that's a little bit of noise for me I, I just think you need to keep it really simple I don't think you need to complicate it with too many words and it's just pretty easy and go out and and we talked a lot about one thing that we did talk about was enjoyment win or lose we, we're going to have fun together and we're going to laugh at each other because, because in cricket, because it's so long, 50 overs, 300 balls, someone's going to do something strange or funny or trip over or, or whatever. And, and we, so what? doesn't matter. It's not embarrassing. It's going to happen to somebody else. So we talk a lot about having fun too and enjoying each other's company. Mark, reading and learning about you has been fantastic. You also, you're so refreshingly open. You know, you talk about being insecure, particularly when you were growing up and heavily doubting yourself when you were younger. And, and you talk about your battles with alcohol to sort of cope with these feelings and this self-esteem. But given your own life experience, how do you help other athletes deal with self-doubts and insecurities? Because I imagine you've got some good experience in that area as well. Yeah, I do. And, you know, where I'm coaching at the moment, there's a couple of young guys that are, are battling some demons as well. And I guess it's about being vulnerable. And I think that's really important as a coach to be vulnerable. And when I took over this role that I'm currently in at the moment, you know, I sort of reflected on my story a little bit and where I'd come from. And believe me, it's never easy talking about it because it's still pretty raw and I find it quite hard sometimes. 
But I think if you can be vulnerable as a coach, it allows your players to go, okay, there's a human side to this man. And I think it allows them to feel that they can come and approach you and say, hey, you know what, I've had a terrible day at work today. And would you mind if I just do my thing and then head off or my sister's not going so well at the moment because she's having some issues with some drugs or whatever it might be and things like that. And that's okay too. I understand that. And I guess it just being vulnerable makes you open to, dare I say, it's like wearing the emperor's clothes almost. You've almost stripped yourself bare, but it allows people to know that you're human. Because I think a lot of the time people look at coaches and go, oh, can't say that, can't do that. What would he think if I said that? And I, and at the moment with the group that I've got, I'm, I always say, you know what? It's okay to come and say something. It's better to say something and get it out and understand that it stays in these four walls than keep it inside and you just get to the stage where I got to in my life, which was no good. doesn't do anyone any good. You've spoken about the fact that being a great player gives you insight into the struggles of being a professional athlete, but there are other areas that are important off the field, which means that great players might not automatically make great coaches. So with that thought in mind, I wanted to ask you, if you were to put together a, a coaching syllabus for retiring players who wanted to coach, what would be the title of some of the chapters you'd have in that, in that syllabus? Start from the beginning. And I, and I see a lot of coaches, a lot of great players going straight into to top teams. And I kind of think as a coach, you need to understand an under-15 boys team or an under-17, an under-19 and a club team and then work your way through. And look, that's no disrespect to any cricketers that have gone or any sports people that have gone from being a player to a coach. But there are some out there, quite a few in in actual fact, that have really struggled from being a great player to being a coach. Because when you're a great player, you get managed. You've got a manager, you've got someone to say, right, Paul, you need to be on the bus at 8.30. This is what's going to happen today. This is what's going to happen tomorrow. And this is what we're going to do. But you've got your teammates as well that you can go off and and either celebrate or commiserate with. When you're a coach, you've got to separate yourself out from that. And I think it's really important to understand that being a coach is a really lonely, lonely position. And we talked about the ice cream story. But you're in a hotel room a lot of the time by yourself trying to think about what went wrong. Why did we lose this game? Who's coming up next? I've got to try and make the plans and be really prepared. And I think that it's really important that you understand to do that right throughout the coaching levels. I believe it's a good thing to do an apprenticeship, so to speak. And I know that doesn't happen all the time. And look, there are some great players that have been great coaches, but a lot of them, when you look back, Wayne Bennett, not a great player of rugby league. Steve Hansen, the all-black coach, was never an all-black. And look, there's others too that have been great players and great coaches. So, I, But I always just think that you need to do your apprenticeship. But that's just me. I had to do mine, so I think everybody else should do the same. Life's not fair, I guess. <laughs> Any other chapters you might have in there? Understand your players, which I hear a lot of coaches. And, and, I, and look, I, I have no doubt that they do, but really have a deep understanding of where they're coming from, what and what they're really needing. And I always think about three questions I say to some of the players that I'm dealing with at the moment. Give me three things that's going to make you a better player or a better person. Tell me three things that are going to help you be a better player or a better person. And most of the time, 
at least one of them, if not two, is not about cricket or it might not be about football or rugby or hockey or whatever it is. It'll be about something outside of life. And that then starts to make the connection between the coach and the athlete really important. So, Mark, you finished in Pakistan two years, travelling back and forth, separated from your family. You said enough Mm. was enough and you came home and your wife said to you, and I'm going to read this quote to you because it's a ripper, Mark had always battled with his own confidence. Now he's much more aware of what he's capable of because he's learned how to believe in himself. He lives in the moment and he's a better father too. So if you could go back and give your nine-year-old self, knowing what you know now, some advice, what do you think it would be? There is no such word as failure. No such word. And every day, if you can be 1% better, then you're going to be a better human being and you're going to be better at your sport or whatever your love is. And I just think that that's probably a really important message. You never wish that you could go back, but I've got an 11-year-old young lady now and a 17-year-old daughter as well. And I look at them and they're starting to get into some sport and sometimes you hear them say, I can't do that or I'm not. And I just say, no. There's no such thing as can. You take away the tea, it's can. you just got to be the best that you can be and try and be 1% better every day. And I think, you know, if, you, if you're trying to be one, and everybody knows, people will say, 1% better? I can be 5% better. You know what? Great. I only asked for 1%. And most people can do 1%. And I just think that that's such a great message to give to the kids and adults and teens and everything. And as I said before, if, You can get a group of 15 or 16 or how many of you are in your squad and say to them, you know what, today we're all going to try and be 1% better. You are 16% better if you've got 16 members in your team. You're going to be a pretty good team soon. The great thing about this idea of 1% better, this idea of marginal gains, which I've actually heard other coaches talk about, not a lot, but others, is that yours Mm. was tested and it worked. Because when you left that team, they'd climbed up to be ranked fourth in the world. And reflecting on it, you said, I've enjoyed the journey a lot. We have a great group of young ladies. We're starting to create a legacy for other young females in Pakistan, which is just a phenomenal, phenomenal idea. So in closing, I wanted to ask you, what is it the legacy that you want to leave as a coach? Oh, wow. I I think of people that I've coached or anything, I, I think if they just say, he made me laugh and I learned something and I enjoyed the game of in my in my sport cricket. Then that's okay by me. I hear some of our guys say, "Come on, boys, let's be one percent better today for Colsey," and that that kind of makes me feel pretty cool because at least the, the message is getting across. And albeit they they might be a bit tongue in cheek, but I, I guess if someone says in my eulogy at the at the end of it, "Always be one percent better," then I guess you're making a little bit of a difference in life, in sport or outside of the sporting field. Mark Coles, it's been fantastic interviewing you today. I've loved reading about your story. It's so refreshing. It's so selfless and it just shows such great resilience. I want to thank you for spending a little bit of time with us sharing that story. Oh, Paul, thank you so much for having me. And as I said, you know, earlier on, off before we started this interview, I often go along the Lulabar Beach and I'm listening to all these fantastic coaches that you've got on. I'm very humbled to be even invited, you know, onto your show. You're doing a fantastic job. And I love all the coaches and I've picked up so much little stuff from the coaches that you've interviewed. So thank you for having me. You're doing a fantastic job. 
Thanks, Mark. And as I look out the window on a dark day in Prague, I'll be thinking of you on that beach. Brilliant. The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here, and you have been listening to our discussion with cricket coach Mark Coles. Mark's story is a terrific example of taking risks and building confidence by pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone. The parts of the interview that stayed with me after it was finished were the importance of faith and family and how this needed to be balanced within his athlete's life, particularly for Muslim athletes, in order for them to perform. The importance of being vulnerable and human as a coach so that players aren't afraid to approach you with their own imperfections and problems and his legacy of wanting to help people learn that there is no such thing as failure, but instead just a laser-like focus on trying to be 1% better every day through experimentation and learning. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. In our next episode, we will be speaking to the American basketball coach, Jackie Carson. It's the same thing with coaching. How do you go be a great coach and you never study great leaders? Because coaching is leadership, as you said. It's one of my favorite leaders. I, I have like a coaching crush on him is Nick Saban for Alabama football. And, and it's, I've never met him. I just love his standards. I love what he stands for in his program. I love how he carries his program and it's constant success at all times, you know? So it's, that's the biggest thing is just preparation. And just, I think that leads to everything else. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 